Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 20. This is the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census would be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and every one was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child, And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him on a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, The shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and then see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, she treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. Chuck Swindoll... I'm sure that most of you are familiar with him. Uh, He is 80, 
eight years old, I think now. He was born the year after my dad was born. I've listened to Insight for a Living, haven't in recent years, but, and I think he is still a senior pastor in Texas, if I'm not mistaken, but he was a great Bible expositor, and he was also uh, one of the best at using an illustration to, to bring out a point. And I, I want to read something uh, that he wrote uh, about uh, just a little piece entitled, How History shaped, is Shaped in Cradles. History is Shaped in Cradles. He says, take the year 1809. The international scene was tumultuous. Napoleon was sweeping through Austria. Blood was flowing freely. Nobody really even cared about babies or who was being born or whatever, but the world was overlooking some terribly significant births. For example, that year William Gladstone was born. He would later become Prime Minister of England a couple of different times. Um, he was destined to become one of England's finest statements, uh, Dr. Swindoll says. That year, Alfred Lord Tennyson was born to an obscure minister and his wife, and of course he was a famous poet and author, the child would one day greatly affect the literary world in a marked manner. On the American continent, Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. As you know, he was a Supreme Court justice and had a tremendous effect uh, on uh, the, the law of his day. He's probably the most quoted Supreme Court justice in history of Amer- in the history of America. And not far away in Boston, Edgar Allan Poe began his eventful, even though it was a tragic life, all in 1809. It was also in that same year that a physician named Darwin and his wife named their child Charles Robert. That same year, though, produced the cries of a newborn infant in a rugged log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky. The baby's name was Abraham Lincoln. If there had been news broadcast at that time, I am certain, he says, that these words would have been heard. The destiny of the world is being shaped on an Austrian battlefield today. He says, but history was actually being shaped in the cradles of England and America. Similarly, everyone thought taxation was the big news when Jesus was born. But a young Jewish woman cradled the biggest news of all, the birth of the Savior. I would say in our world today, it's the birthday of Jesus, but I didn't see that on any of the headlines of the usual news that I read every morning pretty much uh, faithfully. I I didn't see that. I, I, I saw a lot of other things, and uh, I really didn't expect to see that because just like in 1809, uh, most people had no idea of the significance of some of these young children. And even in our world today, it seems that it's hard for us to grasp the significance of Jesus Christ being born into this world. We, 
we, we talk about the, the real meaning of Christmas. We say that a lot, and, and, and I, I know that you understand what that means. But for most of the world, I, I, I sat there this morning drinking uh, my coffee, and I looked over at our Christmas tree, and I'm always seeing sermons. Not, not always, but a, but a lot of times. And I'll see something, and I'll think, man. And I thought about the gifts that are under the tree, uh, just uh, not really knowing what's on the inside, but just thinly wrapped with fancy paper. And I thought that's that's a that's a lot. <clears throat> that's a lot of the the way our lives are. Sometimes it seems like that we don't know really what's on the inside of people. We all seem to have decorated the outside with something fancy. And then I looked at the tree and. <coughs> If you think about a Christmas tree, it's dead because it's been severed from the ground. Now, that's if you have a real tree. Uh, we have an artificial one. There's a sermon in that too. But we decorate it up and make it beautiful, but it's not even really a tree. And you who have a real tree, you've decorated a dead one to look gorgeous. But I thought that Boy, all of those are, are metaphors for the, a, a lot of what we see in our uh, world today, especially when it comes to Christmas. I, I had some old notes. I've been preaching Luke 2 for so many years. I found some old notes from 2007. It said in 2007, we spent $475 billion on Christmas presents. Now, I know it's just a number nowadays. People, it's hard to imagine, you know, what, what all of these things mean. But I did think about this. That was $475 billion in 2007. Last year, though, buddy, things changed. Remember, we had the COVID epidemic, and people were out of work, and, and boy, it, reality hit us hard, and we kept hearing about all of the things that we couldn't afford and all of the stresses financially that the world was in. So last year, in 2021, we only spent $900 billion on Christmas presents. That's $100 billion from a trillion. I, I don't do math much. Not in public. In 2007, I found this as well. One in eight Britons knew the details of Jesus' birth. About 27% of Britons knew what Bethlehem was all about. And in the United States of America, still we find that many people thought were thinking that a Christmas story was a movie from 1983 about a boy wanting a BB gun. J.I. Packer, he's a great theologian who said this once, without God's explanatory word, God's redemptive action would not be recognized for what it was. Had God not given us Luke chapter 2 and Matthew 1 and other passages, had he not explained it, the way he did, we probably, none of us would have 
really grasp the significance of it. He goes on to say this was the clearest revelation of God. Now, I want to pause there again. We're not struggling with Ezekiel's wheel and his prophetic word or one of Daniel's dreams that we may not understand or one of his prophecies uh, or, or a vision of Isaiah. No, this is when God just cleared it all up and he just stood right here in our presence. The creator of the universe set his feet on the very dirt that he made from nothing. J.I. Packer says it's the clearest revelation of God, the incarnation. He says, nevertheless, it's still the most opaque to human beings. We still didn't get it for the most part. I, I know you did, but many in our world just didn't. And when you ask, well, what happened to Christmas? Why is it like that? You really have to ask, well, what happened to the church? If you look back at the church history and, and when the church became about 300 A.D., became really institutionalized, there were some things that happened that you and I need to make sure don't happen to us. But holy times, holy days became holidays. As a matter of fact, the word holiday, the etymology of that word will teach you that it was originally holy days. But holy days became holidays. And holidays, instead of being a time to come together for, to worship something sacred or something reverent, a pulling aside from the world, it became a time when we have time to uh, off from work so we can just immerse ourselves even deeper into the world instead of coming out from it. It happens a lot. Holy places, there used to be a time when holy places could be found in a man or woman's heart who had been touched by the power of God and their life was transformed. And no matter what went on around them, deep in their heart, there was the, the living Christ that, that lived inside of them. And, and Paul called us saints because, not because of anything we had done, but because the God of creation lived in our hearts and we had a personal relationship with him. But holy places would start about 300 A.D. becoming buildings and sanctuaries and cathedrals. Holy things used to be ideas and understandings we had about God. Later, though, they would become trinkets and relics and the cross that was just a sign of degradation and hostility and execution and death would become one of our favorite pieces of gold-plated jewelry. Holy creatures, I thought about those. They used to work for God, now they work for us. We have guardian angels who chase us around, and, 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 and I, they, they, it, we've been creative with it, I will say that. I know back when I used to ride motorcycles, some um, uh, we we would have these little angelic trinkets, uh, you know, hanging on the bike. Now you may be going somewhere to have a little throwdown meeting, uh, but you didn't leave you you didn't fire up the fat boy without the, making sure the angelic trinket was hanging on the handlebars. They worked for us. 
who used to work for God. One more I thought about, holy saints. Paul told the church at Corinth when he addressed them, the most immoral, immature church that he ever wrote a letter to, he called them saints. Not because of anything they had done, but because God had transformed their life. And all of that simplicity was destroyed. And, and, and later to be a saint, you had to be beatified by the cultic institution of the Catholic Church. Yes, I said it. I don't know of anything that will send more people to hell than Catholicism. Well, what is the real Christmas story? Just quickly, man, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to really try to not keep you long. I know you always say, just shut up and preach. Something like that. But I'm so grateful you came. So grateful. Let's look quickly at the announcement of Christmas. Talking about the Christmas story of Luke 2. The announcement... Two things I think are really significant. One, the time of it. We'll look at these quickly. The time of it, verse 1, and now in those days a decree went out from Caesar. This is a good reminder, right at the very first of the Christmas story, that the people of God lived in bondage. They lived under the authority of someone, not just God. But they lived under worldly authorities. He decreed and people responded. And you didn't say, well, I'm just not going to do that. It would be, I guess, like today, just tell the IRS you're tired of, of paying taxes and you're not going to pay anymore. And, of course, you know, there is that old adage, you can't get blood out of a turnip. But they'll come get the turnip. When the authority spoke God's people, they're, they're living in the promised land. They're living in the place that God had designated for them. It doesn't belong to the Romans. It belongs to them. But because of their sinful failures and all of the things that had gone on between them and God, they lived in bondage. And God didn't leave them without hope because I can tell you, right in the middle of all of this carrying on, and all of this pagan leadership that was around them and all of the hoops that they had to jump through, just like we do sometimes, and, and things that we disagree with. I, I, I abhor the fact that some of the taxes that I pay go to pay for aborting infant children. I, I, just, I, I just, man, I, I can't tell you, uh, boy, what I really, how I really feel about that. I, words fail me. I, uh, but we live somewhat like that today. They, they lived in bondage. The target of the announcement, not just the time. I love this. The angel of the Lord went to the shepherds. Now, if you were a shepherd in that day, you couldn't be more of a nobody. I mean, this was like, don't, don't be offended if this is your job right now, but this is like third shift assistant manager over French fry salting at McDonald's. Okay? 
you, you were on down there a little bit, all right? And maybe that's the job you just landed in. It's your dream job. Congratulations. But, boy, being a shepherd, it, it's so cool. The angel didn't go, well, we need to go get the world leaders together, the chancellors, the presidents. We need to get the cabinet assembled immediately. We need to go to all of those important people in the world and, and, and invite them to come and, and to pay their dues to the Savior. They didn't really care about a Savior like so many nowadays. Jesus, uh, for so many today, he's not really a Savior. He's an example, you know? He was a great teacher, and, and we've had a lot of him. He, he's probably the best, you know. And some people talk about Jesus like they're having a conversation about the, the difference between Michael Jordan and, and LeBron James. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, which one is the greatest? Who's the GOAT? Uh, what, whatever. Tom Brady, we talk about people like those. We, we, we fail sometimes to understand that, that Jesus Christ was God. He was God, and, and he doesn't need for us to pay uh, homage to him uh, or, or like we would human beings. He, he deserves everything that we have. But he came as a Savior, and I don't care who you are, if you're the poorest person in the world, he didn't come to bring pity for you. He came to bring salvation. Maybe you're rich and live in a mansion, but you're about to take your own life. It happens all the time. He didn't come to bring you personal affirmation. He didn't come to give you a fresh hope in yourself or to encourage you to explore your own ability. Or, or invite you to embrace uh, the desires of your own heart. No, he came because we are sinners and we had to have a Savior or else we would all die and go to hell. Sometimes we say, don't make Christmas about yourself. Christmas is about me, by the way. I was lost and on my way to hell, I needed a Savior. I needed a Savior. Would you like one? Then it's about you too. Isn't that great? Isn't it awesome? And speaking of Tom Brady, how about them cowboys? Secondly, secondly, not only the announcement of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, its nature Verse 10, it's good news. Euangelizo is the word for good news. When it says, I bring you glad tidings of great joy, that's megas kairos, is great joy. But the whole good tidings, the words, all of that is one word in, in the Greek, euangelion. It's the noun form of good news. Euo, we like eulogy, is good words. Uh, you, uh, angelizo, angelos is the word for message, messenger. We get our word angel from it. And UO is good, so put them together and we get good news and we translate that as gospel. So if you translated this verse literally, it would say, I bring you the gospel. I bring you the gospel. 
The gospel has arrived. Three words the angel used just quickly to talk about the gospel. First, he addresses the problem between us and God. He says, he's a savior. He's a savior. That was the whole problem. And when he says that, that, that he came and, and so that we could have peace among men in whom God was well pleased. The one with whom God was well pleased was the one in the manger, the one we were divided from and didn't have peace with was the one in the manger. The one in the manger, though, would bring us the opportunity to have peace with God. People have mocked Scripture before saying, if he's a prince of peace, then why is there so much war in the world? He didn't come to bring peace between men. He knew there would always be wars, and, and, and the problem was not just war. The problem was sin. That's what he came to address. He came to bring peace between us and God. We had been separated from him. He also called him the Christ, the person between man and God. The Christ, Christ Christos, in the Greek means Messiah. In the Hebrew, Messiah means the anointed one. Sometimes they would refer to their kings in the Old Testament as Messiahs or as being anointed. But I love it when Jesus looked at the disciples and said, well, who do men say I am? Well, some say you're this and that, Tom Brady. Some say you're Michael Jordan. <laughs> if you updated the passage. But then he looked at them and said, who do you say I am? They would seem quiet for a moment. Somebody elbowed Peter, I'm paraphrasing, and said, you never can keep your mouth shut, you answer. He did. He said, you're not just another anointed one. You are the Christ, the anointed one. You are the Christ. Uses the word Lord. That's the position of man with God. He's, he's Lord. And when we trust in him as our Savior, we, we get this so backwards sometimes. People, people really misunderstand us, do they not? They think we're trying to live a certain way because either we're uppity or whatever, and we think, you know, we're going to get to go to heaven because we're so good. They totally misunderstand all of that, do they not? We, we don't live a certain way so God will love us. We live a certain way because he does. We don't live a certain way because we want Christ to live in us. We live a certain way because he lives in us. We're not trying to be holy so that God will, 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 as a holy God, will consider us holy. No, we are holy because God lives within us. It's not some kind of effort. It's not some kind of hierarchy. It's not some kind of high and mighty. And I will apologize for all the Christians throughout history that had all of that mixed up and did act high and mighty. And they themselves needed a good lesson in the gospel. It's a very humbling and challenging thing to be considered holy because it's not of our doing. The nature of it, the scope of it, he says, this will be to all people. All people. All people are going to need a Savior. What about those who've never heard? They're going to need a Savior. Yeah. 
What about those who have their own understanding of God and all of that, and maybe they're Muslim or maybe they're Hindu or whatever? No, they're going to need a Savior. Allah was never considered a Savior. You get saved in Islam because you do the right things. If you're a Muslim, you need a Savior. You get saved in Hinduism because you satisfy the right gods, and they have millions of them, and, and, and it's so hard to ever keep them satisfied, uh, and they worry about it all the time. I, I, I can just tell you, um, it's incredible. I'll never forget. Some of you were with me. I know Bruce was, and I think my son-in-law, it might have been the year he was with me as well, but we were in, I mean, deep, deep in India, and some people, after I had a meeting with some pastors, we were all waiting outside, and these people were all Hindu, and they said, hey, uh, we, we want you to pray for us. Now, don't get carried away with that, thinking, you know, boy, you must have been something. No, they're so superstitious in Hinduism, if there's a holy man in town, we better go over there and make sure he's cool with us because that's what Hinduism is all about. It's keeping all the gods happy so they came over. But guess what they did? Oh, yeah. They pulled out a bunch of these plastic chairs. There's about 257 trillion of those in India. And they got out in the street and more people kept coming. And then they asked me to preach. So right in the middle of that town, I start preaching. Bruce, is that you? Yeah. You weren't planning on speaking today, were you? Yeah. You remember we were preaching. Don't know if it was fireworks. Don't know if it was gunshots. But I got to preach to them first. Let me tell you this part, and then we'll get to the gunshots. But I got to preach to them about these gods that you have on the sides of the road that you created. You created those. I'm in India preaching to Hindus. I said, you created those, but there is a God that loves you already, and he created you. Man, we weren't sure where the fireworks or gunshots came from. All I know is somebody ran up to me and said, let's go. We dove down between some buildings and just kept going. But it was so cool, you couldn't shoot the grin off my face. Man, we got to tell Hindu people that God loves you. And it's not this gargoyle-looking thing that you go out there and kill chickens and drip blood on. You don't need to do that. There's a God that loves you and cares about you. That's why I hope you prayed for Bernard this week. He's our pastor there for the week in India. Pray for those men. Last of all, the transforming power of Christmas. The announcement, the meaning, and the power, the transforming power of it. Two things as we close. People were drawn by it. When the Christmas real meaning of Christmas came, people, the shepherds said, let's go see. The angel didn't tell them to go. They said, no, let's go. They didn't go, well, you know, we got work to do. We got jobs. We got bills to pay. We got time restraints. We got places to be. We got family coming over. We got whatever. Nope. They said, let's go. Let's go 
Right now, I don't know who watched the sheep. I, I don't know that they cared. They went to see the Savior. Man, I think it's amazing. They weren't drawn to angels any more than wise men were drawn to stars. They didn't start a cult worshiping angels because they saw an angel. They realized the angel was the messenger, but the message is lying over there in that manger. The wise men followed his star, but they didn't knock on Herod's door and say, hey, we came to see if we could borrow a telescope. No, they said, we came because we want to see he who was born king of the Jews. It'd be like going to the White House and telling President Biden that we came to see the one who was born president of the United States. That would likely confuse him. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Not the one elected. They didn't tell Herod, Herod, we know how you got your job. And he did. He was a vassal king. He paid Rome to get the job. He paid Rome. And honestly, in the scheme of things, when you compare the little place where Herod got to rule to the rest of the Roman Empire, he was the third shift assistant manager over salting fries at McDonald's. But his chest was proud. And I'm sure when those wise men came, as a matter of fact, in that day, these wise men, the magi, we got our word magic from it, but these magi were able to discern from the stars as to who the next ruler should be. Sometimes they were called the kingmakers. You will see that term if you study them. They were the kingmakers. wonder how cool it would be today to let wise men elect our leaders. Just saying. Last of all, people were drawn by it. People were changed by it. Shepherds came back glorifying and praising God. Glorifying and praising God. Man, it'll do it to you. I, you, you might not sing out in public. You might not be very public about speaking or whatever. But once you are born again, there's so many ways of glorifying and showing God, showing that God is important in your life. Remember kavod in the Hebrew, their word for glory is a word that means weight. They weighed gold, and if it weighed a lot, it was worth a lot. God is worth a lot. He's got weight. And when you glorify gold, you just rub the tarnish away and let the gold shine. You don't have to put stuff on it to make it shiny. Just get the yuck out of the way, and that'd be so good for us this year at Christmas. I think you being here this morning, this is a great way to glorify God, you know? And maybe you got a house full of people at home that are getting the, they're, the, they're mauling the potato salad right now, and you know it. It's all right, isn't it? 
You knew where you had to be. It's how we glorify God. Sometimes, though, we sing. Last night, I went to bed, Loretta, watching a Hallmark movie. I ate it so badly, I didn't make that one. But I couldn't sleep. I couldn't remember all the words. I love it. It's just so cool to have this Google inner tube, inner web, whatever thing it is we have now. I couldn't remember all the words, so I just reached over on the nightstand, grabbed my phone, punched in, I'm a child of the king. And there were the words. Once I was lost in the rags of my sins, wretched and poor, lost and lonely within. I didn't look at the words long enough, but it goes on to say, I forgot what all, but I'm a child of the king. Yes, oh yes, I'm a child of the king. His royal blood now flows in my veins. I who was wretched and poor now can sing. Praise God, praise God. I'm a child of the King. Man. Tears rolling down my face. No audience. Ah, Roscoe. He was in there. He left when I started singing. Just telling you, you can't help but praise him. I was so lost. Born in Lower Anderson, we call it L.A., a little place called Star. We were so poor. I was abandoned by my own mother as a child when I was four. We grew up. We had nothing. Now, back then, if you were poor, you didn't know you were poor. We didn't, get, we didn't figure that out until later. Somebody had to tell us. Man, you've heard the stories, young people. Remember? Remember your parents telling you one year they got a pecan for Christmas and the next year they got a rock to break it with? Yeah, I remember those days. Oh. But I stand here telling you now I'm a child of the king. He's never abandoned me. And he never will. Someday I'll sing with the angels above. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for coming today. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.